Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's time for another episode of Last Drinks, a podcast where we have conversations for the sober and the sober curious Hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. Hey, fam bam. Welcome to another episode of Last Drinks. My guest this week is a fellow podcaster. Her name's Christy Robinson. She hosts a podcast called Run Your Business Like a Boss. Um, It's for business owners who are knee deep in the messy middle. Christy is a business coach and she is also very sober. And part of her sobriety story involves me. So it's a really beautiful collaboration that we have on this podcast this week, which will also be shared on Christy's podcast. So if you are a business person, a corporate high flyer or an entrepreneur, absolutely make sure you check out Christy and the wonderful work that she does and her podcast. Her website is christyrobinson.com.au. The name of her podcast is Run Your Business Like a Boss and you can find it wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can follow her on Instagram, christyrobinson underscore consulting and enjoy Last Drinks with Christy Robinson. Christy Robinson, can you tell me about your last drink? Absolutely, Maz. Okay, so my last drink, well, with full disclosure, I actually don't remember whether it was the 1st of October or the 2nd of October. Uh, That's That's how it's... (laughs) <laughs> that's how insignificant my last drink was sure. and the essentially it was the long weekend of 2022 and I had only just come I'd only just been drinking for two weeks I'd already taken an eight-week break prior to that and I'd been back drinking for two weeks and so we'd gone on holidays to Melbourne we live in Brisbane and and that kind of one weekend away turned into sort of like a couple of weeks of drinking, uh, you know, not not massively, but enough for me to go. Okay, this ah. is this is not great. So I had my last drink, and in all honesty, it was completely insignificant. Mm. Okay, I've got a few questions. The eight weeks prior to the two weeks, um, what was that? Uh, inspired by? Had you been circling around sobriety for a little while and decided eight weeks sounds like a fair amount of time to have a break, reframe? What was going on for you? Yeah, so I I was this stop-start drinker for a good couple of years and the eight weeks before was we were in the middle of a renovation and just didn't need any alcohol, needed nothing else to just distract us or just make us feel more anxious and stressed. I was the person who woke up in the middle of the night, whether I had one glass of wine or whether I had five glasses of wine, every night I would wake up anxious. Mm. So since 2017, I have been taking, I had been taking long stints of time away from drinking. And 
it, this was a very normal thing for me. So for me then to get to the first or the second and then make a decision I'm not drinking again wasn't that I was making the forever decision at that point. It was just another, okay, I'm just taking another break. So this was very normal behaviour for me. And did you find, so you did the eight weeks and I, oh my gosh, renovating. Let's do a podcast episode about how stressful <laughs> renovations are because we've been renovating our house now for two years. It was meant to take 12 months and probably a third of what we've spent on it. <laughs> so I, I, that would drive anybody to drink. I completely understand. <laughs> um, but did you, what, can you talk me through in, the, in that most recent eight week stint, what were the things that you noticed were different or were positive out of removing alcohol from your life? Because it feels like you, you dip into sobriety, you feel a little bit good, then you dip back into a little bit of a drink and then it, you kind of came on this vicious cycle, which mm. I think a lot of people resonate with, the blame, shame, the stop, start. So mm. what was it about the eight weeks that sticks out to you where you're like, oh, hang on, maybe maybe I'm onto a, a bit of a winning scenario for myself without alcohol in my system? Yeah. So honestly, it was just like the everything before it. So the whenever I was taking a break from drinking, it always just felt good. I felt good. And I think this is where maybe my story might be a little bit different. And I think maybe what we might do is backtrack a little bit to the beginning of this like stop start part of my life. So I would say my, my, journey to sobriety is broken into three sections so the first section is was in 20 20 actually it was 2018 January of 2018 the first of January I just needed to take a break from alcohol and I made the decision that I was going to take a three-week break at that point I'd never really apart from pregnancy taken an, a, a scheduled break if you like so I took that three-month break and that was I think that was when I got the pink cloud that was when I really just felt so good and I was like loving life and I had this realization of the power of removing alcohol from my life so that was my introduction to it and then it was at that point that I started to become alcohol aware I would say so I was aware that alcohol was playing a significant role in my life and I didn't like the role that it was playing and I liked the fact that I had this time where I didn't it wasn't overly difficult to give up alcohol mm. but at the same time I liked the way that that felt but then it just takes one drink so you mm. oh, well for me I had that drink after after the three months and then that just turned into regular patterns of drinking and for me I wasn't a massive, massive drinker. I never got to blackout stages. I never, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't, wouldn't go out and drink an enormous amount. But drinking was part of my, it was what my husband and I did together. So we would go to wine regions. We would like, you know, we would do, we would have wine together with dinner. We'd go out to nice restaurants. We'd drink wine there. Yeah. And it was just just part of our life really yeah. and then so I, I did that stop start for a little bit would take these regular breaks and then in 2019 my husband well my family and I we moved from Sydney to Brisbane and I was taking another alcohol-free break I was going to Guingana to the health retreat and so in preparation for that I wanted to not have alcohol in my system gave up alcohol coffee what have you and it was a friend of mine who handed me your book your first book the social yeah, rebellion right. 
And this is what I think is so interesting. We're going to talk about books a little bit later, but I think the power of you don't even know who you're impacting. You don't know the, the, the people who are influenced by what you put out in the world, whether it's a book, whether it's a podcast, whether yeah. it's a social media post, you just have no idea. So I was this, just this person, random person in Brisbane reading your book. My friend had read your book. And that was a moment where I shifted from stage one of my sobriety to stage two. And I went from being alcohol aware. So the awareness that I didn't want this in my life, awareness of the benefits of not having it in my life through breaks to being sober curious. And it was in that book that I'd never read a quit lip book before that. I'd never really been exposed to anything, no podcasts or anything at that point. So I read that book and I was just, it was just listening to your stories. And there was a few stories in there that I was like, I think you spoke about the anxiety, uh, you know, waking up in the morning, being anxious. And then there was this one section where you talked about how you, I think you were maybe in Hong Kong and you went to a day spa and then you weren't planning on drinking, but then you did have a drink out of a vending machine or something like that. I can't remember the exact story. It was a few years ago. I read yeah, the book. that, that checks out. <laughs> <laughs> And it was, what was really powerful about that book for me was just the, the, the unconscious decisions around drinking. It was just like, you go to a barbecue, you have a drink, you go out for dinner, you have a drink. And it was like, it was a reflex. Mm. And I was, and then I became aware that that reflex was just so ingrained in my life. And, and then I started to explore what that would look like if I just made those small decisions. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's really powerful because those micro adjustments are the sum total of sobriety because really, and I think that you can talk to this, it's just one decision. It's the decision every time a drink comes up to say no, it's really, and I know that's overwhelming for some people that feels impossible for some people but we really can deconstruct all of the complexity around sobriety to a simple choice every time. And that choice is no to alcohol. And that equals, you know, over time it becomes easier. It's not easy at all, but over time it becomes an easier choice because of patterns and brain chemistry and all of the things but that little micro adjustment each and every time makes your choice more powerful each and every time. And I'm sure that that's what you've experienced because I find that people who land in sobriety who are so passionate about it are like, hey, guys, I'm doing it. And I didn't think I could do it, but I'm doing it. Mm, I, I definitely agree with the one choice because that then was that sec that final stage of my sobriety journey. I had gotten to this alcohol aware. I started probably where many of your listeners are at now, where they're aware it's not fitting into their life. They are aware that they could maybe remove this, or they're just at that at that that curious stage. And I knew that it was coming. I knew that the forever would come. I just didn't know when. And it's so wonderful how these things fall into place. I was reading, again, um, that same friend who gave me your book had gone on to uh, do her sobriety journey 10 months before I did. And she mentioned, she mentioned another book and another friend of mine mentioned that same book within 24 hours. So there was a universal sign there. 
And in, in your current book, in ch- for the day 11, you talk about 1111. Mm. So for me, my angel sign is 333. So whenever I see 333, I know that is the, that's somehow the universe or a spirit guide saying to me, it's time to pay attention to whatever's happening to you. I opened this book and again, this is the power of books and the very first word of this book was 3.33 a.m. Now, I didn't read another word. I know. I didn't read another word and I made the decision. I was like, this is the time. We're done. I was already two weeks into past my last drink. So I'd already gone back on another stint of not drinking. So I already had some runs on the board. So that was great. But I was like, I'm done. There's my sign. I don't need any more things to tell me that um, you're done with alcohol. So the forever had been made. And that one choice, as you said, Maz, that one choice has taken away the daily choices of having to try to control alcohol. The rules, the the you can't do it this and you can't do it here. I, I didn't overdrink because I had so many rules and it was exhausting. Yeah. That gives me goosebumps, that story, because having written a book, I've, I mean, I, I did write The Social Rebellion in my very, very early sobriety. And I think Last Drinks, Last Drinks is the extension of it, definitely. Mm. And, you know, published with a global publisher. Like, lo- you know, it's, it's, a different, it's a different book for a different season um, with, the, you know, a similar message about sobriety. But it gives me chills because there's moments I can pinpoint when I was writing my book of stuff that just came out of me. And then when I had to reread my book and proofread it and then proofread the proofreads and then all of the things. And there were parts of the book that I reread and I was like, oh, geez, that's profound. And forgetting that I'd written it, right? Because it it came out of my soul. It came somewhere out of somewhere. And I'm not sure how to articulate that, even though I am a wordsmith. I don't know what that is. But what I know is that that was for someone like mm. yourself with the 333. I don't know what part of my book is going to be somebody's sign, but I just know that they are there because I was so um, true to what this book needed to be coming from like bubbling from within eight and a half years of sobriety, but also listening to all of those universal cues in a way that, that just as an author makes me so excited that that whatever that was that I wrote is going to land in someone's soul, hopefully, mm. and be a part of getting them on, on a track for the betterment of themselves. And that's just so cool. And it's something also as an author you have no control over, which is the hard part of, mm. you know, putting something into the world and and just being like, oh, oh, I hope, I hope that people get this. I hope that this connects with people. I hope that this helps people, and I hope that this is a gift because they were the reasons that I I wrote a book. So that is such a powerful story. Just even being aware of the signposting is, mm. you know, using that intuition. I don't know that a lot of people sort of operate on that level where they think about you know, intuition or or numbers that work for them or things that come up for them or, you know, what 
what a sign from the universe actually looks like. And I love mm. that. And I've talked about this on my podcast before, but I'm, you know, I'm not an in the closet Oprah fan. I'm a loud and proud <laughs> Oprah fan. And she does talk in one of her super soul sessions about how um, the universe talks to us in whispers. And so at first it might just be like a little pebble in a lake and that little ripple is meant to get our attention and mm. help us focus on something. And then if we miss the ripple, it's a rock. So it's a bit more of attention that we need to try and pay to it. And if we ignore that, it might be something bigger and it might be something more bold until one day the, the whole wall falls into the river to try and get mm. your attention. And I think the 333 may have been your rock, you know? Mm. And if you missed it, there would have been another sign down the track, but we don't know how much more damage control we would need to go into because we missed all of the other stuff because of whatever reason. Don't want to recognize that it's an issue. Can't be bothered changing my behavior. Don't want to um, have the awkward, hard conversation with myself or my partner or my friends about my relationship with alcohol, etc. All of the excuses, which... I know I wrestled with for those years that I was, you know, um, wrestling with my so sober curiosity for sure. Yeah, 100%. And I think we can't underestimate the power of someone putting a book in your hand. Like I think that, you know, I I hadn't heard of the social rebellion. Now, full disclosure, disclosure, I knew who you were because I listened to you on Today FM and I had listened to the radio show and, by the way, it was very devastated when that oh. ended. You and me both. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew who you were. So instantly I had – I had there was buy-in for me to read the book because I had really enjoyed that year. You, like, I'd taken my children to daycare whilst whilst listening to the, to the show. Mm. But, you know – it's interesting, like these things don't happen by accident, and I'm 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 a hundred percent with you that the universe is 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 always putting things in front of you, whether you pay attention or not. That's that's up to you, and maybe that's up to where you're at. But I think that the first book, and I've read obviously Last Drinks as well. The first book was placed in front of me to take me from being aware to knowing that there was another way, and mm. to take me into sober curiosity. And I needed those couple of years of trying to make it work, trying to make alcohol fit into my life. And I know for a fact, even though I was only, you know, drinking, you know, once, twice a week, it wasn't a lot. But it, to, for me to only drink one or once or twice a week, I was in the grey area category simply because of the rules. Yeah. And it was just, as I said before, it was so exhausting having to have all these rules in place. And it's like nothing in your life should be that hard. No, you would never stand for a relationship in your life to be that hard. So why why this relationship? Can you talk me through what some of your rules were? Because I think that really might connect with some people who are, you know, exhausting themselves trying to moderate their drinking. Yeah. So no drinking during the week, Monday through to Thursday, ideally not on Sundays. And so first of all, it start, my very first set of rules was no drinking from Sunday to Thursday. So only... Uh, only Friday and Saturday. Then as time went on, my rules shifted to once once on the weekend. So either a Friday or a Saturday night. And then it was every other weekend. So I was clear, I was pulling it out of my life. It was coming out of my life. But it still, it was like this, it was like a bad ex-boyfriend that just hung over me, that was like torturing me with 
Facebook or Instagram. Now, my husband and I have been married for over 20 years, so <laughs> ex-boyfriends are not on, on, okay. on social media. Sure. <laughs> but, but it was like that. It was like it would, just keep, it would just keep showing up in my life, but I didn't want to see it. I didn't want to be a part of it. So, And then having these long stints where in 2021 I had had five months where I didn't drink at all, and then in 2022 I'd only really drunk for about four months, but it still wasn't working for me. Yet I was so afraid, Maz, of making the final decision. I was so afraid of of being restricted, of not having the choice, of being disempowered by making the forever decision. And in my experience, the forever decision has been the ultimate freedom, the ultimate freedom where that that relationship no longer has any power of, over me. I don't have to think about it. I go here, it's a no drinking. I go there, it's a no drinking. Saturday, Sunday, no problems. I've been skiing. I've, I've, been all, I've done all the things without drinking and it's so beautiful and empowering. I think a lot of people when they are sitting in that place where they may be moderating their grey area, they're not really sure, they maybe want to dabble in sobriety but they don't want to quit drinking forever because that's really overwhelming too. I think the attitude is, well, I'm giving up alcohol and I really, really want to spin that on its head because I don't see it. That's, it sounds negative. It's like, well, mm. I quit. I'm giving up. It's something that mm. I'm losing. It's something mm. that I'm sacrificing. And I think um, what happens when you become sober is you actually, it's not about giving up. It's about what you gain. And you gain back mental clarity, freedom, you know, proper night sleep. You gain back um, less anxiety. You gain back so many things that alcohol robs you of that you don't realize. And so even that shift of thinking instead of going, well, I have to give up my booze to, well, what is this life without alcohol going to give to me? What can I embrace mm. through this process? Even that mental switch can make it feel less daunting and less like a negative. And I think also as women, we are marketed to um, out of deprivation so often with our diet culture. Diet culture is all about deprivation, calorie counting, data points, macronutrients, like it's all just so mentally draining mm. that I think we exhaust ourselves from depriving ourselves of the things that aren't good. And then in the end, we just go, screw it. I'm going to have a cheeseburger and 17 ice creams because <laughs> I'm too tired to do this anymore. And I think it's the same with alcohol. I think sometimes when you, when it's not zero, one is so hard to manage and moderate mm. one night a week or just one drink at the party because you, it's like you are white knuckling through life with that hard and fast rule. Mm. If you adhere to the rule, you've spent the whole night thinking about the rule and not breaking it. And then if you break the rule, you've broken the rule. And so either way you lose, right? Whereas mm -hmm. zero, you win every time it's zero, which I love the idea of. A hundred percent. It's really just down to that one decision and not having to think about it ever again. And it is total freedom. Yeah. And you know, it's so hard to believe that when you're on the other side, right? Which mm. is probably why, because even when I stopped drinking, I didn't say never 
for a few years. It took me a couple of years to kind of reconcile and go, okay, well, I'm never drinking again <laughs> and kind of be okay with saying that out loud. And maybe it's because I do know myself as a little bit of a self-sabotager. And so I think that subconsciously I was worried about if I say never, then I'm going to set myself up for a fail and then I'm going to fail and then it's another fail and then I hate <laughs> failing and I've done it so much and it's so annoying. So I think I was hesitant to go there until I was truly, truly sold on my sobriety for myself, not for anybody else. And so, yeah, it's just impossible to understand until you do it. Right? Yeah. It is, isn't it? Like, even though, like, you read the book that your friend gave you, you'd seen your friend journey through 10 months of sobriety, you still had to stand in the square and say no to a drink time after time until you got the revelation and the paradigm shift and the mental clarity and all the things that now I think would drive you to, to stay sober. Yeah, and I think for, for me and my story is... I'm, I'm not, I was never the person that would wake up and say, I'm never drinking again because I didn't have a lot of hangovers. I was never that person. I'd never made the commitment. I'd never said those words out loud and I knew it was coming. I just knew in myself, my voice was saying it was coming. I just didn't know when, but I knew I'd know when the time was. And so that sign was the time. And it was also that the fact that, well, I guess what makes that at last eight weeks before going back to drinking for two weeks so powerful was that even after just two weeks, I felt so terrible. And it just, it, it was like, I just, I was like, how can this feel so bad after having an eight week break? Mm. And, and I think what also, how I also know this is, this is going to stick. I never had the pink, I didn't have, haven't had the pink cloud in this since being sober this, well, not drinking this time because I'd had so many stop starts where I'd had so many months of not drinking. So I wasn't living off those, you know, euphoric feelings that a lot of people get when they take that break and then they think, oh, this is wonderful. I'd already experienced that. So this was just the real deal. This was just the, okay, now you're in it. You've done a lot of work to this point and now it's just that all of the work before the stop starts, the controlling got me to this point where I was like, this is it. We're good. And it just, it hasn't felt hard for that reason because it took me so long. So if you, if someone's listening today and they think, oh, this feels like it's been going on forever, there'll be benefits to that, I think as well. Yeah. And also an encouragement that you're the only person that can do this, you know, like as much as your buddy had done this, you read my book at the end mm -hmm. of the day, like you're the author of your own story and you are the person that has to, like I said, stand in that square and actually live live it out and there will be hard times and there will be better times and there'll be times when you you know you may be tempted but I think one of the great things about all of the quit lit that's out there all of the resourcing all of the conversations like this on different podcasts is that you really can arm yourself and safeguard yourself in sobriety and know what speed bumps are maybe going to come up by listening to other people's stories and trying out different tools in the toolkit to help you kind of fumble your way through that first little bit, whether it's euphoric or not. And I've heard mixed reports on, you know, those first sort of couple of months in sobriety. Some people do say it's like this new love affair with like the, the world and life and other people are like, it's hard. I was grieving. It was like I'd broken up with 
the love of my life, you know? So mm. mixed reports, but there are so many tools out there and so many um, people willing to share their story because this is the other thing that I find so interesting is that most people who stop drinking want everyone else to stop drinking. <laughs> it's so true. I've got another friend who gave up within days of me and and her and I, where she's in Sydney, I'm in Brisbane, we're just on WhatsApp talking all the time, celebrating each other. And I think your point, Maz, is community is so important and whether you have a, a person in real life that you can do this journey with who's ahead of you or at the same level as you or whether it's podcasts like this every every weekend when I'm cleaning the house I'll be listening to this podcast other quit lit po- podcasts because I just it just keeps me grounded it, it reminds me of mm. other people's stories and even if I don't identify with everybody with somebody's entire journey there are p- there are pieces of the story that I always identify and it just keeps me remembering you know, why this is a good decision. So yeah, 100% listening to the podcast, reading the books. I mean, I've been 10 10 months of not drinking and just read last drinks. So you can always keep learning, reading, listening, being community. Topping up, so to speak. (laughs) 100%. And I think too, um, it's really important for different walks of life and different sobriety stories to be shared across different platforms purely for representation and diversity, you know? And it's like if somebody can hear your story and go, oh, yeah, like, well, I I have the same rules and and I don't drink during the week, but it's just not working out for me, then Mm. that's going to help them get to a place where they can become alcohol aware and then maybe kickstart into a bit of sober curiosity and then maybe take some time off and, I think that's why I love having these conversations with whoever wants to share their story because I'm like, there's no one journey. Like we're all on the sobriety journey, but everyone's story is unique. And I find I haven't really heard two stories that are the same at all. And I think that that's encouraging because it means that this is accessible for anyone and everyone who is just willing to, and I won't even say be brave enough, I'll just say be ballsy enough to go, okay, maybe it's going to be no alcohol for a while and I'll see how that works for me. And most of the time, there's a significant improvement. Mm. Oh, 100%. Physical, emotional, mental. Your capacity to handle stress increases massively when you're not, when you don't have alcohol in your life. Absolutely. I think your capacity to do everything just becomes so much greater. And it doesn't mean that your life will become perfect. Just as a disclaimer for anybody thinking, Mm -hmm. oh, quit drinking and my life will be perfect. That's not how it works. But what you will have is just a clear head and a way better approach on how to handle the big life stuff and the curveballs and the firings and the breakups and all of the fun stuff that life throws in your face to derail you, it's still going to come at you hard and fast. But I think when you can, you know, turn and use a different tool other than alcohol to try and deal with that, you're setting yourself up for a win. Mm, absolutely. And I'd, I mean, I'm curious to know from you, Maz, like uh, part of the thing you mentioned about women, part of the thing is we are marketed to and there is this glamorization of of alcohol for for women, especially like what's your opinion on that? 
Yeah, I know that the alcohol industry made a really hard and fast decision a couple of decades ago to target women because they weren't making enough money out of men. And so they were like, let's put it in pretty bottles and make it seem aspirational. And it worked a treat on us all, did it not? Because we all believed it. And it, and I think that it became so ingrained in our culture through movies, through stories, through existing in social circles that the way we connect with people is by drinking. Mm. And the irony is that alcohol ends up isolating you um, over time. I think it starts off as a connector where we feel like it dampens our anxiety enough so that we can go out and socialize. And, you know, we, we then fall into the trap of needing alcohol to be social with our friends. So then we don't know what mm. friendship looks like without alcohol. And then it's this whole big roller coaster complex mess that I, and it's a lie that we've been sold because you don't, you end up, you end up drinking with people to try and connect with them. And then you get so drunk that you forget the night that you had. So that's disconnection. And then you probably spiral into a pit of anxiety and then you don't want to see anybody the next day. And that's isolation. So alcohol is actually doing the very opposite thing of what we are sold it in society. I think that that perception is shifting now with the rise of sober curiosity, with the rise of non-alcoholic, um, you know, like big non-alc is a really huge thing where you can go out, drink a drink, doesn't have alcohol in it, but you still feel like you're doing that social connection thing. So I think it is just a part of the societal lie that we got sold so that companies can make money, which is the same thing that tobacco companies did in the 50s and 60s. And, you know, eventually we had to call time on the tobacco industry and say, no, you need to put warning labels here. You need to not have these present around children. You need to, you know, this this is hurting people, harming people and killing people. And we shouldn't be allowing people um, the false sense that this is glamorous and cool. And it's the same thing with alcohol. We know it's a carcinogen. We know it hurts people. It's responsible for more deaths than all of the other drugs combined in the world. It's catastrophic in our society. Um, and I think that we are slowly calling time on it. I don't know when it's going to turn around. I think labeling on alcohol products that alcohol causes cancer or at least increases your risk of certain types of cancers may be a wake up call for a lot of people, but I don't know how far, you know, we are away from that as far as lobbying and advocacy. It's like a whole, just turning a ferry around. It's a, it's a long, it's a long ways off, but I think we've started. I think we're getting there. And I think more people are understanding the truth about alcohol um, and choosing to believe that over, you know, this false sense of popularity or glamorization that you're, you're meant to buy, to buy in a bottle. A hundred percent agree. I think that, you know, all of it, any, any change of behavior, whether it's to uh, change your behavior around alcohol, whether it's to get fit, whether it's to get healthy, whether it's whatever that, whatever that looks like, it always begins with awareness and having programs like this, having books like what you've put out, it all helps to feed that sense of awareness. And in the last drinks book, you start you know, pretty heavy around, not heavy, but you start to talk about what 
what is alcohol and lifting the hood on what alcohol actually is because I think a lot of people haven't had that change of or that alternative perspective around alcohol. There was, I think it was the who came out at some stage to say a glass of wine was was good for you. I mean, gosh, like we've, there's just been such an about turn in recent years. But awareness is such a strong place to begin to understand the impact that alcohol plays. And yeah, I think that's why I really wanted to drill down into the science with some experts. Because once I started figuring out and reading about what alcohol actually is, what it does to our brain chemistry, to our bodies, to our emotional health, I was just like, this is not good. And nobody told me. No one mentioned this. You know, there was no memo on this. I was just kind of, I just kind of stumbled into binge drinking as a teenager because it was inevitable. And I really think that educating ourselves about what we are putting into our bodies is really, really important. And that's why, yeah, no, you're right. It is a bit heavy. The first part of the book is about the truth about alcohol and the truth isn't super fun. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's a really, it's really toxic and it's really bad. And we probably shouldn't be allowed to sell it in shops to anyone. Right. But once you arm yourself with that information, then you can make an educated choice around, well, do I want to inhale this substance? Do I want to put this in my body? Do I want to, do I want to change my brain chemistry? Do I want my cognitive function to decline? Do I want to increase my risk of cancer? Because every time you have an alcoholic drink, those are some of the things that can happen. And I think once you're aware of that, it's kind of, you know, there'll still be people in denial, but it, it will, I think it will take, take that edge off the deep dive to sobriety. Cause it's like, well, none of this is good for me. So maybe we'll just leave it over there. It's so true. Once you really understand, you, you can make an informed decision and it's going to be interesting to see what, what comes down the pipeline. But Maz, I'm curious to know, I mean, obviously you're a, you've been long-term sober. So I'm curious to know, how has alcohol helped you to tackle those bigger life or business goals? Oh, how not drinking has helped me just in general in life? I feel, I call it the progressive revelation of, of sobriety because like the first year, you know, a lot of the benefits were, I call them the vanity benefits where people are like, Ooh, have you done the mayonnaise treatment in your hair? And you're like, no, I just stopped drinking and my hair looks amazing. And you feel better. You look better. You know, I, I joined a gym, I got really ripped. And, and so that's all, that's all surface level vanity stuff, which is nice. It's nice to you know, it's nice for people to tell you that you're looking banging. Um, but the real, the thing for me that was so tangible that I hung on to was the mental clarity, definitely. And I do think that that year on year is a compounded benefit. So I feel like um, my, my capacity, and that's quite generic, but my capacity as a human has improved. So I feel like I'm more patient, I'm less angry, I'm less cynical, I walk a bit slower and smell the roses. I have done so much stuff that I probably wouldn't have had time to do if I was sitting in a bar drinking, coming up with all these ideas of things that I wanted to do that I probably never do. I've saved tens of thousands of dollars 
uh, and use that money to do, you know, like I went on a couple of fitness holidays and a yoga retreat, all pre-kids. Um, so I just think in general, my life is better. Mm. Um, I don't like to think what my life would be like if I was still drinking because it scares me a little bit. I think I'm glad I pulled up stumps when I did. It was heading in a direction for me that was feeling very, very uncomfortable. And I think I was probably just a few big nights away from a bit of a disaster. Um, because I was blacking out, I I wasn't having fun drinking anymore. I didn't want to drink anymore, but I didn't know what else to do. Um, so I think overall my life is the sum total of my choice not to drink. And that's a really good choice. It does not mean, as I said before, that there haven't been challenges. The last 18 months have been an absolute shit show in my personal life. But I feel like I've navigated it so incredibly well. I haven't been avoidant. I haven't tried to suppress it or repress it or undress it or whatever. I have just come at the extremely challenging and hard curveballs that life has thrown at me and I've been able to feel my way through it instead of think my way through it and I've been present and when I've been up I've been up and when I've been down I've been down but at least I've been there and present and not been somewhere and trying to be elsewhere by drinking to get myself out of whatever those feelings were. So I feel like my life is the most real it's ever been. And it has given me really cool opportunities. You know, I started a business. I've written some books. I do a podcast. I have a cool job. I have a kid who's absolutely bonkers and I wouldn't want him any other way. And all of those things, I think, have come to me out of that decision every day to not drink alcohol. And and I think... If we catch up in another couple of years, which I hope we can and stay in touch, I'll have a bunch of other stuff to share and so will you because it just keeps getting better. And I'm I'm not like hanging on going, when's this going to level out, you know, because it is still swings and roundabouts because it's life. But overall in general, like I'm pretty chuffed with how I'm doing life and I'm also proud of myself. And that's not something that drunk Maz would ever have said or admitted to because that would have sounded arrogant. But now I understand what that means and I have self-compassion and self-worth and that's only been an eight-year journey. And I'm 43, but I've only had eight years of actually loving myself since I gave up alcohol. Mm, I love that so much. You, It's the self-compassion and that self-love piece that – that that's for me like I really I really think that's so incredible Maz and you're embracing your human experience and not you know putting it behind this alcohol wall that really just lets you kind of glide through these experiences you know it doesn't it's so much harder to feel all those things when you uh, you know, when you've had alcohol in your system or you choose to take the edge off with a glass of wine or you want to celebrate with a glass of wine or whatever your chosen beverage might be. So, and I think what's really cool about your story is, is that you've gone on to take that experience to empower and to impact 
so many people like myself, like like I'm in your journey because of reading The Social Rebellion in 2019. You're in my friend's journey because she also read the book and you're never going to even know the ripple effects of the impact of you having this podcast, you having these books out here. And, you know, and I'd love to, to sit on the book for a second because, as I said before, I read Last Drinks. And, by the way, I made the coconut cashew nut balls yesterday. Did it change your life? Oh, my goodness. Thank you. <laughs> you, <laughs> you also mentioned in the book about the sugar, like the need for sugar, and I've really needed that this yes. year and I've lent into it. And so it was great that you said just own it, own it. But I think that that's probably a healthier way of needing to consume the sugar. So when you read Last Drinks, people, make sure you try the coconut cashew balls because coconut lemon cashew balls because they're so good yeah they're but <laughs> I make them every single week they're oh they're like a staple in my fridge yeah. they're gonna be here too uh, let me tell you so good um so I'm gonna try the I'm gonna try the the mocktails recipes that you have in here as well but speaking of books I'd love to hear and you touched on it a little bit especially with last drinks that it just poured out of you but did you have some sort of cadence or writing process that you used to write let's talk about last drinks because this is the latest book and I think it was a different experience for you by the sounds of it did you have some sort of plan or what how did you write it I'd like to know yeah do you know it's really interesting so you mentioned earlier in our chat how your sobriety journey was in three parts and that's exactly how my book was so when how it all came about is I'd been doing the podcast for a while and I kind of Um, was contacted by a publishing company and the senior literary agent had listened to my podcast and was like, I think, you know, we really want to put a book out in this space. Would you, you know, we just started chatting and riffing and she was like, you know, do you think you could write a book? And I was like, yes, I absolutely do. She's like, do you have an idea? I'm like, let me give you my seven page plan (laughs) because I had been, it had been brewing for a long time. It was, it was all in here and it was all bubbling up. And I just didn't know if I was going to be knocking on doors and trying to pitch a script or if the very, very impossible thing happened, which was they contacted me. Um, So I feel so lucky that Lucy reached out from Wiley. We started chatting and I shared with her, I was like, this is the book I want to write. It needs to be grounded in science and I need to talk to experts because I don't want it to be wishy-washy. Um, I don't want it to tell people that sobriety is going to solve all of their problems, but I need them to know that alcohol is the problem. Sobriety is the solution. And I want to give them a practical plan. That was it. I knew that they were the three, you know, and like the rule of threes, you know, the beginning, the middle and the end, like it all, it just, it was just there. I just knew that that was what I had to do. And so once I came up with a framework, it really was a matter of sectioning out like what to include where, where to pull what from where, which podcast bit to shuffle there, what part of my story I share where, because I wanted between the beginning and the end for people to understand my whole story over the course of the book, because I didn't want it to be just a memoir about me. I wanted it to be so inclusive of so many other stories. So I was very, very specific and very, very um, determined on my voice being the voice. Like when you read the book, I want people to think it's me telling the story. 
And I think I nailed that. And I am really proud that I was able to do that through a publisher because sometimes you hear stories of like, well, I submitted my manuscript and then they changed a whole bunch of stuff because that's more marketable. I feel like every idea I had is in my book. And, um, and I worked so closely with an editor who was really respectful of my idea and, and my voice and my story. And, and it's so true in that sense. So I had, I really just had the most excellent publishing experience. So I'm really grateful, but I think it also does come down Christy to, I am a super planner, highly organized, irritatingly organized, um, overachiever go-getter which drives my family insane um but that's how I got it done because I I said yes and then I step up to the plate and I nearly exhausted myself but I got it done because I said I was going to get it done and and on the other side of that now god I'm glad I'm so glad I pushed through the tough bits because there were there were definitely days where I was like oh delete (laughs) like oh shut the laptop this is just i can we just go to the beach? What am I doing? Right. (laughs) But I'm glad that I pushed through like, you know, any creative journey is a process. And I think any piece of work that, um, is of ourselves is, is really challenging in so many different ways. But I, I had that idea from the the get go, the beginning, the middle and the end. Alcohol is the problem. Sobriety is the solution. Here is your plan. And I think, I feel like all the feedback I've had has been very overwhelmingly positive that it's it's easy to read, it's digestible, it's connecting in all the right places, it is practical and helpful. So it, it's really achieved what I wanted it to achieve. Yeah. Congratulations, Maz, because I 100% agree the – it is your your voice and having listened to you on the radio, yeah, having, yeah. <laughs> having you listened know. to you, I know, I know your voice and having listened to you on the radio, having listened to you on your podcast and reading this book, I felt like you were reading it to me. It was such a, it was such a cool experience because I, I, I could, t- it was interesting because I was thinking to myself as I was reading it this didn't get edited in a way that they made it generic. They really, like, it was so beautifully representative of you. And so obviously the fact that the publisher clearly wanted it to reflect your tone of voice, to to be the way that you speak and for it to speak into people, like, that's how I felt like it was speaking into me. And I love the three-part process of alcohol the pro- alcohol is the problem sobriety is the solution and here's my plan let's this is really easy and 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 like the little activities along the way are really great like they're just it just reinforces all the other things before it so well thank you hey one thing I want to know because I do think it's really important I think when people are sober curious they're thinking about stopping drinking or cutting back or taking a break they One of the big worries is like, what are my friends going to think? What are my friends going to say? How is that for you? Because it sounds to me like a bunch of your mates all got sober at around the same time and you had this inbuilt tribe. Yeah, I think think it really, it is a very generational thing. Uh, I'm also in my 40s and I think that a lot of women in their 40s are having this about turn. I, I, I don't think that it's it's as uncommon as what it was when you gave up for sure, Maz. And I think with the emergence of the quit lit 
culture, both you know, like books and and podcasts and whatnot. As for my circle of friends, I that's gotten smaller and smaller over the years anyway, from moving from Sydney to Brisbane, and just you know, I'm in the thick of it. I've got two two school age, soon to be a high schooler kids it's busy I'm running a business I'm I just I haven't had a lot of spare time mm. and so for me I and and I'm I, I don't love being in noisy environments it's not my vibe and so I didn't really that didn't really impact me mm. as for the way that I catch up with my friends it is more it has been for recent years around going for walks and and things like that sure the the drinking barbecues have stopped for sure but um I haven't lost any friends along the way and I think definitely there there will always be people that are curious around it there might be people who are defensive about it there everybody has a different reaction and mm. that's not for me to sit in judgment of uh but thankfully I haven't lost any friends over it yeah and it's interesting because some people do and some people don't again like it's your story and it's it's so unique to you I think it's the people around me but again it's the people like you Maz like you're in my ears there's other like that's part of who I I connect to is is not just the people that I know and love and that are my friends but I choose to consume positive content I choose to put things that are going to help me and not hinder me into into my mindset and so yeah, I think it's all about the approach that you wish to take. And I'm not going to say that everybody's journey is going to be like mine. This is just my story. and But I definitely, you know, I, I think I just want you to know that the impact that you have on so many people is so positive in this world. And you'll never know the full extent of that. But you doing this in your time and writing this book in your time and 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 putting this message out there vulnerably in the beginning and now with you know a whole lot of experience behind you it's 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 incredible I'm super grateful for you just opening up with me today and oh thanks Maz it's been such a honor such a pleasure I've really loved hearing hearing your perspective and just having this opportunity to thank you and just to have this space And thank you. Thanks for listening. Make sure you click follow so you don't miss an episode. New episodes are published every Monday. You can follow us on TikTok at Last Drinks or catch up with me on Instagram at Maz Compton. Stay curious.